Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor AJ Espinosa, and today we're looking at a psalm. I love it when we take a take a moment to go and look at these psalms. They're good at every occasion, all the time. And this is a this is a really cool one. Um, we're going to see in a few different ways. This should hopefully sound familiar at a couple of points to you. Psalm uh, 32. And uh, there's a couple things that will be familiar and maybe a couple things that we'll, we'll learn today. And it's nice because uh, we go over these psalms and um, this is a shorter one, just 11 verses. So we should be able to really take our time and uh, just really kind of soak it in. So going with, psalm, uh, going with us, reading the Bible together with us today over this Psalm 32, we've got Pastor Chris Bernacki, pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama, Pastor Bernacki, good to have you with us, brother. How you doing, Chris? Yeah, thank you, AJ. Yeah, doing pretty good. And uh, yeah, I'm just happy to be here to bring my greetings from the Southern District of the LCMS. Yeah, that's right. I, I really like, um, it's so cool that, I mean, we have a lot of people from the Midwest and from the St. Louis area on the show. It's, it's, it's kind of easy and nice that we have them come in um, and we can have them in the studio. But it's really cool that we got. I mean, we're. I mean, I would love it to hit like 50, all fifty states. That would be fantastic. <laughs> and like, I don't. I don't know if we have anyone else. If we've had anyone else on from a long time from from Alabama. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. Um. But yeah. No. I mean, I'm up all the way up in the north. Would you go ahead, Pastor Benacki, and go ahead and lead us in the prayer? Let us pray. We'll pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, you tell us in your word that blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Help us on this day to acknowledge our sin, but more than that, to acknowledge our Savior. And so continue to forgive us, to instruct us, to protect us, to direct us. Help us to always find our gladness in you. And finally, we pray for understanding as we make our way through Psalm 32. Help us always to find solitude in your mercy. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. We are looking at Psalm 32 today, and it's an interesting one. I think this is, uh, yeah, This it says here in the, the title here, that it's a maskil of David. And so we can uh, look at what, what, what does that mean and try to look at what just what are we looking at here. Um, but before we get into some of the, the finer details, let's just read through the whole psalm once. It's only 11 verses, so it's easy to just read through the whole thing once. And then we'll look at uh, kind of each each verse in finer detail here. So this is Psalm 32. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version beginning with the title, which is part of the Hebrew text. A Maskeel of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and who, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So there's there's a lot of things going on, and um, and, and this is, this is good that we can kind of take our time here. The, the first question um, is okay. What we have a sense of this psalm is is something about you know re- rejoice. Um, it seems like there's like a thanksgiving to God because God has both delivered in time of trouble and also forgiven um, when when we have sinned. So there's there's definitely like some kind of thanksgiving going on here, but it doesn't seem to be only thanksgiving. It seems like there's a little bit of like instruction um, going on. And so when we're thinking about what kind of psalm this really is, what does it mean that this is a as a maskeel of David? Yeah, well. You know, one thing that that I took from that is is that it's meant to almost be used in a liturgy. Mm. Um, and so, so it's almost you know like there was a footnote there that suggested probably a musical or a liturgical term. You know, right? That's the footnote so in the ESV. It fitting that, like, you know, something like. In the divine service setting three, we begin our service by saying that, I say I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so it's sort of fitting that then we would even use Psalm, Psalm um, 32, verse 5 in a liturgical setting, you know, and mm-hmm. as, it, you know, sort of the way it should have been, it would have been intended. Right. Yeah, there there does seem to be, um, I, I mean, like especially with the way that it's broken up, there does seem to be something very structured about it that would lend itself to being used that kind of way. I mean, um, I, so this is actually maybe uh, one of the first times we've looked at a psalm here, and we see the word um, selah or sila. Uh, but breaking it up into different parts, right? So does that have to do with that liturgical idea, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd suggest it does, you know, that that it may have some sort of call and response. Um, yeah, and uh, for instance, I mean, this is, it's an interesting psalm because in other places, like David is actually making a confession, and that's right. not so so clear here. It's more that it says, you know, he's teaching it. Right. You know, and he even says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, you know. And so it it, it seems pretty clear that, that it is an instruction. It's sort of a didactic psalm versus an actual confession that David is making. Right. And and that that accords with something, um, you know. And I I thought I had a note on this. I'm just I'm looking through my notes. Like if you can hear like clicking or typing in the in the background, but um, I, I remember I, I think I so maybe I'm just getting this wrong since I don't have the note in front of me. 
but the the word maskeel, um, I believe the root comes from a, a verb that means something like to be skilled at or to have insight on. And so I, I feel like I've, I've I've seen it even suggested um, that this could be like a it's like a psalm of insight or something along those lines. And I feel like that really works as an explanation here because I mean, it's as you were saying, David is is not this isn't the content of his of his um, confession here. It doesn't say like what he did um, and and what like you know like how why he was so like you know broken up about it. It's just kind of saying like, you know, I, I have done this. This is what I have learned that, you know, keeping this stuff bottled up, th that's no way to go. But to actually confess it and then to rely on God's goodness, this is an example for you. This is how you should be. And then in verse eight, like, you know, it's kind of just being very clear, like, let me let me tr let me try to teach you here. So it does. It, I think it makes a lot of sense if this is kind of seen as a kind of teaching psalm. Even the language kind of sounds like uh, the language of the Proverbs, right? Right. It almost, yeah, it sort of su suggests like a response to the gospel that, that he mm -hmm. himself has gotten. Um, like, for instance, in Psalm 51, in verse 13, and he, make, he, he states, Then I will teach transgressors your way. The sinners will return to you. And so it's mm -hmm. almost as if, that's what he's doing in Psalm 32. Like he's he's actually taking seriously what he said in Psalm 50, uh, Psalm 51, and he's he's now going to teach them. You know, mm -hmm. and so it is like a personal response to to the grace he has been given. Right, and, and of course, because in Psalm 51, that is a well-known psalm. But uh, if you're if anyone's listening and thinking, what was Psalm 51? Uh, David's actually making confession of his sin, and there's a I guess many interpreters understand that as a very particular sin that he's confessing there. And so yeah. you have a, a psalm of confession of sin. And then I really like that idea that this is like, you know, he said he was going to teach people, you know, like when he received God's forgiveness. And, and sure enough, he's doing that. He's making good on what he said. He's giving this this insight, this uh, this this wisdom that he's he's gotten um, from that process that God has worked on him. This is I'm going to teach you about grace because I've received grace. Yep, exactly. Well, let's that, that I think that kind of, you know, helps us understand like what maybe is going on with this mosquito. Um, let's look then at the particular verses here. So we got two verses, one and two, and they're they're they show parallelism. They they're kind of saying the same thing, but with different words. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Um, and you see, th this is a, you know, when you're looking at Hebrew poetry, you, you want to watch for this stuff. You see two lines that start like pretty much the same way. Blessed is the one, blessed is the man. And then you've got, you, we should understand this to be like four phrases that are supposed to kind of mean the same thing transgression is forgiven, sin is covered. And then in the next line, um, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And you might think to yourself on that last one, like, in whose spirit is no deceit? Like, so is this, I don't know, like, you, you'll, you'll live a blessed life if you're a really honest person, if you act with integrity. And, and you could see someone kind of going off in all kinds of directions here. But remember, it's supposed to be read as a synonym 
So in this context, what does that really mean? It means uh, you're not trying to deceive God, that you're opening up to God about your sin and you're being honest to God in your confession, right? So he's linking it all together and saying that there are blessings for those who honestly and openly confess their sins because God forgives sins, um, covers them up and doesn't count them against you because he is gracious. I mean, that's, I mean, it's so clear and it's helpful to read it like synonyms, parallel lines, right? Yeah, right. And I mean, you know, because there are times in scripture where like a man is described as he was, he was righteous. Mm -hmm. And, and what he is, what is being said there is not that, that he's, he's somehow perfect. Right. You know, but, but that he, but that he's a man who trusts. God for his salvation, you know? Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, because, like, so often we look at the Bible, and we just, I don't know, we want to take a verse and just kind of, like, you know, like, like, blow it up into big letters and, like, put it on our living room wall or something and make it kind of like an absolute statement. But there's always a context, right? And it just, as you were saying, just as when it says that someone was righteous, it doesn't mean that they were, like, perfect or something. So similarly here, like, this isn't, the idea isn't, like, you know, you have to have a totally, you know, pure spirit with no deceit. I mean, all of us have deceit in our spirits. I mean, even if we don't lie to other people, we often lie to ourselves. Um, so if you read it absolutely, like it doesn't apply to anyone. But the context here is that that you open up to God and the opposite of, of um, being um, deceitful in spirit is being open to confess, um, not not to be perfect and to never have any dishonesty in your soul ever. Um, so like, it's, it's very helpful to, to look at the context to help us read it in relative terms and not, you know, big, like, you know, absolutes, like this is meant to be a fortune cookie. Like, no, 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 no. Like this is, this is like a real thing. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Go, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, and I was just going to say that like, yeah, what, like what you see in this verse is like you know, ultimately what, like, happiness consists of. And, it, and it's not like things of this world, you know, beauty, honor, riches, or something. You know, it, like, what you see is, is that that it comes from forgiveness of sins. Um, yeah. You know, I wanted to quote from Luther. Luther gave this, somebody asked him once what, um, what, his, what was his favorite psalms. And Luther said the Pauline ones. The Pauline and so his ones. friend pressed him on that. Yeah, the Pauline Psalms, he says. And, and he said, well, what are those? And Luther's response was the 32nd Psalm, the 51st Psalm, the 130th Psalm, and the 43rd Psalm. And he said, because they teach that forgiveness of sins comes without the law, without works, to the man who believes. And therefore, I call them the Pauline Psalms. You know, and I just yeah. find it interesting then, like, Paul, for instance, does quote from Psalm 32. And so here's what oh, Paul says. Yeah, go ahead. Where is that quote? It, it's Romans 4, 5 through okay. 8. And he says, okay. however, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. 
Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. That's that's beautiful, and that's I'm I'm so glad you uh, you you found that Luther quote. Like I'm going to have to use that term sometime. The Pauline Psalms, but Pauline yeah, Psalms, it, it's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what? What are the? I mean, that's my that's my first reaction. Like the Pauline Psalms. I thought there were Davidic Psalms. It says of David. I didn't see any of that. Said of Paul. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. but in Luther's Bible, I bet there was right. He scribbled that in like a masculine of David and of Paul. <laughs> um, but. But yeah, no, that's that's so good because it, when when it says in whose spirit there is no deceit, like in other words, in whose spirit there is faith, you know. And I'm reminded, of like you know, I mean, and uh, you know, Chris, you've got some young kids too, right? And uh, you know, I guess how old is Adeline now? Adeline is, is you know, she'll be turning three soon. Okay, yeah. So like our our oldest are about the about the same age, and like. They're, they're getting, they're starting to get to that point where, right? Like where you ask them, like, what did you do? (laughs) You know, and then it's like, will they tell you? Right. And, um, and, and there, there's even like this, uh, sometimes like, I mean, I've had to like do this or I'm like, you know, like Ellie, you need to do this. Um, you know, and like, if, if you do do this, then this is what we'll do. And if you don't, then this is what we'll do. Um, and you can see it like in, in, in on their faces, right? And, and my daughter, she'll just go like, um, um, and she's thinking about it, right? Like, what should I do? And the question really is, does she trust daddy, right? Like, does she trust like what I'm going to say? Does she trust me with telling me what, what's going to happen next, right? And, and and that's exactly what we have here. The the question is not like how like pure, righteous or, or, or wonderful, wonderful our own souls are. It's just, do we trust God? to be able to tell him the truth? Do we, do we trust him with the truth? It's the language of trust. It's the language of faith. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and sometimes like it could be more, more than that too, like in the sense of like, and then do we trust his forgiveness? You, you know, yeah. like, like first of all, like first John says, if we confess or um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our right. sin, God, who's faithful and just, will forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like, you know, do we actually believe that, too? You know, like, I've had an experience where I worked in a prison, and um, and, and one of the guys came up to me after a Bible study, and he said, God could never forgive me for what I've done, you know? It, mm-hmm. And it was sort of like, my response was, you know, God can forgive you. You know, it may not be that you'll forgive you right away you know that you may struggle Mm -hmm. to forgive yourself um but nonetheless we're told time and time again in scripture that that you know that that our sins are so far removed from god that that he he even in fact you know like forgets them and um and so the question will you know sometimes is is can you forgive you but god can forgive you Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it really, I mean, that's the thing, like when we talk about like trust, do we trust God? I mean, like there is a, the relational sense, but then as an extension of that relational uh, sense of trust, it is, do do we trust that our sins are really forgiven? Because I mean, honestly, if we think there's no forgiveness for our sin, why would we confess it? Like, (laughs) what's the motivation? Like, why would I bother telling anyone 
if I didn't think that I could get uh, and that that some good might come out of that, you know. So we have to we have to believe yeah. that there is some kind of forgiveness or or grace for us, or else uh, you know we we would just you know take the take all of this dirty laundry and skeletons in our closets to our grave, right? Um, well, it, it's well, only right, when yeah, we have it, confidence. It all hinges on the fact we believe, you know, we we believe and know we have a savior, because the, right. none of it would matter outside of the the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. Right. Well, let's. So this is this is really interesting here. Um, just one other thing, like on this point, you know, before we we move on, you you were mentioning. Um, I like the way you put it, like that the happy life consists of you know not in you know necessarily like an abundance of of good things um that you know or just things that you commonly associate you know happiness or joy with but true happiness is in forgiveness and and being able to trust god that the forgiveness is real that he really has forgotten those sins as far as the east is from the west that's what is for true happiness and i like that you brought that out because the word that we have there in hebrew for blessed is that word for like happiness um, there's a couple different words for blessed, and sometimes you've got blessed, like you know, you know, blessed be the God of Abraham, or you know, blessed are you, God our Father, Maker of heaven and earth. Like there's that form of blessed, um, which is a, which is a different form. Um, it's using the form like Baruch. If you, sometimes you you hear that, and um, even in um, contexts of Semitic languages today, right? Um, but okay. it's not that. This is the one that's Ashrei. That's like you know, is there's happiness, there's fortune, there's there's, you know, blessedness in this, right? And like, this is where happiness comes from. It's knowing that you have a God who loves you and forgives you. And that's really the only thing that's actually going to bring fulfillment um, to, to your soul. Yeah, exactly. And it's like he removes the transgressions, the sin, the iniquity, and the deceit. You know, and so it's like four different words. Um, for for sort of sins, you know, they're they're all hmm. slightly different, you, you know, like transgressions, like sort of like signifies like passing over a boundary that you shouldn't have, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Sin, as I understand it, is a word that's like an like an archery term, like you missed the mark, you know, you didn't hit the bull. You didn't get it right. To have. Right. And right. Like, you didn't pull it off. Yeah. And like, so then like, like, uh, iniquity, you know, the opposite of iniquity would be like equity or like justice. Right. So you, mm-hmm. Something unjust, you know, and, and deceit would be like, like guile or like fraud. And so they're all sort mm-hmm. of explaining the same thing, but they do it a little bit differently. And, but above all, you know, they, they are, they're carried out of sight. You know, that's sort of what the word forgiveness means, to be carried out of sight. Even though we can't right. do that, right? You know, we may struggle with that, the idea that I, I can't, I can forgive, but I can't forget. You know, you hear people say that a lot. Um, right. But that is what God does. Right. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I mean, there are these four different words, and it kind of reminds me about how when you draw an X, you know, you, there's there's one line beginning and end, and there's a second line beginning and end, and you have to use those four points so that you can find then the intersection, 
right? And so he draws that X and there in the center, this is what he's talking about. This is the need that we have. This is what we need God to come and do and intervene in, in our lives. Um, we're going to pick this up right after a short break, everybody. We're looking at Psalm 32 with Pastor Chris Bernacki. We'll be right back after the break. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor A.J. Espinosa, joined today by our guest, Pastor Chris Bernacki, pastor at Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Florence, Alabama. We're looking at Psalm 32, and we were just talking about, um, you know, these first two verses are so important because, I mean, this this is kind of the insight of this Psalm of Insight. This is the the statement, the teaching of uh, grace through faith that that the psalmist that David here is, is getting at. Um, and, you know, like in the same way that you, um, you, you have to like spread out the, pent te- the, the tent pegs to actually lift it up or the way that you have to draw an X to, to find the intersection. So he set this up here with these two lines to help us see what he's talking about. And, and then he makes this move here that you get in verses three to five. And uh, there, there's a turn. And so let's go ahead and just read these now and focus in on on these three verses here. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. All right, so here we do not have the same kind of um, parallelism that we saw in verse 1 and 2, where it's just kind of like, it's sort of meaning the same thing almost identically with just different words. Here you've got two little chunks here, and they're kind of meant as opposites, that 3 and 4 are saying, this is what happens when I was silent, and then you have the break, um, you know, Selah or Selah. And then there's a couple lines that mean the opposite of what we just heard, um, which is the opposite of being silent is then speaking out. And so um, and you even have this in the Hebrew that like in verse three, there's this form that really is well, well translated here by the ESV. You know, when I kept silent, this is what happened. And then at the, at the end of verse five, I, I think a, a good way to translate would actually be 
But when I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, then you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So he's talking about two different like times, two different scenarios. This is what it was like when I was quiet. And this is what it was like when I actually spoke up. And so what is he trying to teach us by showing us the difference of what it's like to be silent and what it's like to actually confess? Yeah, um, yeah, I I think he's, you know, he, he is giving us personal experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and trying to present the fact, I mean, I think a lot of people, they want, they just want to hold it in, right? Just, just mm-hmm. keep it silent, you know, it's like you bury it, bury mm-hmm. it deep within your heart, you know, within right. your gut, and, and I never want to show it to anyone again. You know what? Just David try to forget about out, it. Yeah, it's it, like it it may it wastes him away. You know, down to his very bones. Uh, you know, it's like his foundation is getting ruined, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so so it and it's gonna boil up again. Is is what I would suggest. You know, it's like yeah. You know, you, you put the poison, you know, deep within you, and it's gonna come back out and it'll come back out in ways that that'll just make it worse that that's a really good way of putting it that it just kind of boils up you know like um and and that's actually you know when i look at verse four um i think the language is a little bit more active in the way that you suggested it's not just that like day and night your hand was heavy upon me like it was just kind of this perpetual burden but the form there i i think if i'm reading it correctly means more like this would happen like every day and like every night, you know, and, and you can think we sometimes experience this um, in, in life. There are these seasons of life where we have this anxiety and we try to spend the whole day forgetting about it. But then right before we're trying to go to sleep, that's when it comes back to us. Right. And you get that dread and that anxiety and it just comes back to you. You, you, you thought that you had forgotten about it. You'd thought that maybe you'd moved on. But when you've got that unresolved stuff in your soul that you've just buried, it's going to just, you know, come out and come spill out, you know, in, in those quiet moments. And so it, it feels like he's talking about that, that there, it just, you know, he's tried to just forget about it and move on. But it would come up at, at, at night. It would come up at certain points during the day. Like it would keep coming back to haunt him. Like, no, this has not really been dealt with. Yeah. And uh, as you said, there's there's these two good metaphors here that he uses, like, you know, feeling like wasted away in your bones, like it's just gnawing at you from the inside out. Um, and then like your strength being, you know, dried up by like the heat of summer. And you, you just, you know, those of us, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I don't, I guess it gets pretty hot and humid in Alabama too, right, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it is right now, for sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, it's... uh. It, you know, we, we all know what that's like when you're just in that ridiculous heat and you just, you don't feel like doing anything, right? You just, you're, it's like, oh my gosh, you just, you feel like the heater, he is smothering you and you, you just don't want to move, you know? And, um, and, and so similarly, it's just that kind of like, it's just, it feels like it's just smothering him, right? Um, I mean, here he's talking about a dry heat, um, you know, which can be oppressive, especially if you're like in the sun, right? Um, but then on the opposite end, Right. So he's saying like, okay, that's what it's like to like, just try to like live with this secret and live a lie. Right. But then this is what it's like when you acknowledge, um, sin. Right. And he says like, acknowledge my, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. 
right? I said, I will confess. Um, those are all meant to be kind of like, you know, understanding that we, you know, he no longer has it covered up, he, you know, pulled the cover off, revealed this to God and God's response, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Um, and so there, there it is. Like when he said before, um, you know, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Here he is making it very, very clear, just in case we didn't catch on. He's talking about his himself, his own experience, and he considers himself blessed because he's been the recipient of that forgiveness. Yeah, right. And it, and it's like you know, the forgiveness comes not from trying to keep the law or something. From like, well, I tried. You know, you you hear that mm-hmm. from people all the time. I tried to be a good person. Well, you know, right. that's nice, right? Being nice is nice. But but the the forgiveness of sins comes from just from from acknowledging um, that that you're not perfect, you know, and confessing your transgressions to the Lord. Yeah, and and in an important way, faith is is um, I mean there there's an important there is an important respect in which faith is trying, right? Um, I really like the way that that C.S. Lewis puts this in Mere Christianity. He has two chapters that he calls. One of the chapters, faith, and the very next chapter is faith. And you're like, wait, is this a typo? Um, <laughs> no, he's actually making a really big point. There is there is one sense of faith where um, it's because you trust Jesus, you trust what he says. You're going to live by what he says, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't listen to someone if you didn't trust them. And so similar, if you do trust them, you're going to listen to them. You're actually going to like take their advice to heart and try to do that. But there's another sense in which faith is not trying, but it's giving up. And here you see that, right? He's trying to to live with the secret. He's trying to put on a happy face. He's trying to just forget about it and move on. He's trying to deal with the sin on his own, right? And it's when he gives up, you know, it's when he's just confronted by the fact that this is eating me from the inside out. I can't take it. It's he gives up and he acknowledges his sin to God um, yeah, like faith is, is like the opposite of trying in that respect. It's when you give it up and just say, okay, God, you're the only one who's going to be able to deal with this. I can't, nothing I do works. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. The fact, I mean, yeah, there's nothing that, that he can do that he can't be good enough, um, for God to ever accept him, you know? And, and so like, like, You'll be moved to want to work hard, and you certainly should. And nonetheless, at the same time, you can't achieve it or deserve it, you know? Right. Yeah, and so I I think it's because of that image of just recognizing that you're helpless, that you then have um, verses 6 and 7, that they're kind of developing that theme. Um, They say here, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, at a time when you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The language here, I feel like it is language where we're in situations where we are confronted with how helpless we are, right? Um, in the ancient world, a flood was one of those kinds of instances. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I mean, it's an instance uh, in the modern world, too. I mean, man, you know, you often see these storms and when a big flood comes, there's very little that you can do sometimes. But especially in that context, you know, here come the waters and there's nowhere to go. I mean, there's nothing to do. 
Um, similarly, you know, he talks about like a hiding place uh, to be preserved from trouble. You know, there's, you have like enemies who are after you. And sometimes the only thing you do is you just go into the city and get behind those walls and you just pray that they hold. Like all you, all you can do at that point is you're just waiting on the inside. You're waiting on the high place in the guarded, like safe place behind the walls. And all you can do is just wait and pray. And it's uh, in those moments where we realize how helpless we are. Um, those are the moments that God uses to grow our faith because we understand that he's the only thing that's going to work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, because in verse 6, you know, you do get a shift away from, like, from the initial discussion of confession and then now on to, like, the protection of God um, in the midst of the troubles of life. This is the first right. time I that you see, like, a an imperative, like a command, you know, and he's and, and the command is offer prayer. And so I think right. that it's definitely insightful, you know, that, to, to turn to the Lord in prayer. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I was looking at that language, and it's 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 unclear whether in the Hebrew that's really actually meant to be um, an imperative or not. It, it might it might be. I mean, you definitely get an imperative very clearly at the end. Um, you know, where it's be not like a horse or a yeah, mule, be and like be horse. glad. Yeah, and then be glad in the Lord. There you get like some really like clear imperative language. But but regardless of whether this is imperative or not, like you there's definitely this this uh he's just stating like on a certain level it's conviction. Like the, the the righteous know this. The righteous know that they're helpless. The righteous know that they're only righteous because of God. And so this is how the righteous are going to act. When the trouble comes, they're going to call on God. And you have this really weird uh, phrase, at least it seems weird in our translation, offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. There's, I mean, you, know, it, you look at the, the the Hebrew and it's just like, what does that phrase mean? I, I wonder if also it might be translated as something like, you know, at, at a time, at the, at the time of seeking, um, you know, when it's, like I was saying, like, you know, when you're in those situations where all you can do is just seek God, all that's left to do is just pray. Um, and so in those moments, right, um, that's when you, that's when they're going to turn to God because they realize that it's, it's him that's, that's left. And sometimes God, it feels like he almost takes everything else away from us so that we realize that we still have him and that we're like less distracted by like all the noise. Right. Um, and, and, and so this is how he like shapes us. But, but then in verse verse 8, um, this is where you have like this really clear like, now, hey, I'm talking to you. Um, let me give you just this clear instruction here. This is what I want you to do. He says in verse 8 and then 9, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. That that seems to me to be like the really interesting turn of, of like the metaphors, right? Like we were talking about, you know, um, kind of like you could you could almost look at it as kind of like weather related, right? You know, being dried up like summer, or you know, finding yourself in the midst of a flood, right? But now we're talking about like a like a horse or a mule. So what what is this metaphor? Um, this seems like a big turn. What's this uh, trying to do here? Well, I mean, you know, 
I took it as being one of the opposites again of verse six. So, Mm -hmm. so like just the idea of like offering prayer to God, um, what would be the opposite of that? Maybe being stubborn and, Mm. and, and not doing that. And so, so at least that's the, that's the way I, I sort of understood it. You know, it seemed like the psalm was going back and forth between sort of opposites. And so right. in verse 9, I mean, that's sort of the way I understood it. Don't be stubborn, you know, um, yeah. and need to be curbed and need to be bridled. Yeah. Um, not yeah, that to makes... say that that's the way God will actually do that. So, like, he'll put a bit in your mouth and he'll drag you, even though you don't want that. Right. But, right. Um, but, it, but at least it was, an, it was just imagery of we, we all know you cannot. You, you know, like, like a horse need, will, will need to be tamed and, and it needs a bit. Right, right. And I think that's helpful, like, to see that the, the opposite, like, there's, he's talked about it in two different ways now, right? On the one hand, the opposite of confession, right? The opposite of, of revealing and acknowledging your sins before God is, is deceit, you know, you know self-deceit, you know, maybe it's, it's the lie, right? That, oh, what I did wasn't really a big deal, or, you know, it'll just go away, Right. Um, but the, but that that lie is also kind of another way of looking at it is really stubbornness and it's connected right sometimes it's the, it's the lie that like oh no well I mean I can deal with it right it's it's the lie of self reliance which is what undergirds stubbornness right like we stick to our mm-hmm. guns because we we just have fooled ourselves into thinking that we can do it right and if we just you know we just bang our head against this wall for like the one millionth time it'll the outcome will be different this time. Um, so yeah, the, the imagery, it, it's an image of stubbornness. I also wonder, I mean, like, and I think that's actually the primary sense here, right? Cause he mentions the, the, the bit and the bridle, right? Um, but also, I mean, a horse or a mule, they don't talk, right? Well, I mean, there was that one, I guess, uh, you know, miraculous happening in the old Testament, right? But th- that aside, they don't talk, right? When they says like, they're without understanding, like they, 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 uh, you know, the, the the word dumb right if you, you know if you today say a dumb animal you you often mean that it's just not that intelligent but in the original sense or the earlier sense of dumb it meant that it couldn't it can't talk that's what that's what yeah, dumb like means mute. like that like mute right exactly so i wonder if that's part of the idea too that it's like don't be um a dumb animal don't don't just like you know grunt and groan like also that was something i noticed too right it says here that he groaned all day long when he was being silent that's an animal word too that's used of like you know animals bellowing like you know wild beasts right so like the kind of the opposite of like intelligibly confessing your sin is just being like an animal that's just stubborn and is just grunting and you know bellowing but nothing intelligible is actually coming out of your mouth Yeah, and you know, and it's just like, and and ultimately, the sorrows stick with you, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost in in verse ten, like so. In contrast to like the blessed, the blessedness, which is like plural, right? I, right. Like repeated bundles of happiness, you know, and then right. all of a sudden you got the many sorrows of the wicked. Mm-hmm. 
you know, as, as you just bundle this and keep it in, you know, put it somewhere down deep within you. And it's just like, they just, they, they just keep coming and they stick with you. Um, and so right. that's not yeah, the this... solution. Right. Yeah. In, in your, I like the way you're linking that. Right. And, um, it, it, it's, again, it's an odd thing about it, but it is this particular form when it says blessed is the one it's actually in the Hebrew, it is like a plural form that you can almost think of it as like, you know, like heaps of joy or something like that. Right. And, and so similarly yeah. in, in verse 10, it's plural again. And so it's kind of like a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice, uh, it's bringing it all to a close, right. Circling back to the beginning you know, many are the, the, the bundles of happiness, uh, the heaps of joy for, for those who confess their sins. So similarly, um, many are the sorrows of the wicked who are stubborn and won't trust in God, who are silent and won't confess their sin, right? Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. It, it reads like a, like a proverb like that. And there you have it very clearly he is ultimately talking about faith, talking about trust. Um, and that goes back to what we were saying, that we should be understanding when it says, you know, you make confession, when there's no deceit in your spirit. Those are just ways of saying that you trust in God. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, it it results, in, you know, he says in gladness, you know, be glad mm -hmm. in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, you know, all you upright in heart. And so that, that's sort of the final imperative, as you had said, to be glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and there, you, there you have it. I mean, and it's, um, it, it is, uh, you know, there was an imperative form in, in verse 9, like, you know, be not like a horse or a mule. Um, but then, like, the, the only you, positive imperative form is actually right there um, in verse 11 here that you've got this, um, you know, it says, uh, I guess, be glad in the ESV. But I mean, this is the, the word of celebration. This is the word for like, you know, we're going to have like a, a party. Um, and, he, and then he uses like, you know, three synonyms, right? You know, like, like celebrate, um, rejoice, shout for joy. So the only thing, this is very fascinating, right? The only thing that he really positively tells you to do is to rejoice. Yeah, but we're, we're to understand that we should be like him confessing our sin. That's clearly the, the, the kind of insight there. Um, but, but the actual like only thing he actually really comes out and says, hey, you do this, is to celebrate, Um so, I mean, that, that's, that's striking, right? I mean, it's, I mean, what are we to make of that? That, that really at the end of the day, the, the action for us is celebration. Well, yeah. Um, well, and I, I, I suggest that, that, that in, in some sense is what the worship service does as, as you, you know, you begin there, right. With confession and then, all that follows is a celebration, you know, a celebration of the resurrection and a celebration of the grace that's being communicated to you. And, and so, so one of the proper responses I would just suggest is like a, is a worship service in a sense. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Well, and, and, and also too, to, to that point, right. Um, we should, th this is another thing that can, that can get missed very easily, but these are all plural forms in the Hebrew. Um, so they are, they aren't just like, Hey, you over there, you single guy, like, you know, do this thing and you do that thing and you will have your own little individual happy life. These are all plural. Hey, you guys over there together, celebrate together, rejoice together, shout together. I mean, that, that sounds a lot like worship. Yeah, oh, exactly. And and so, I mean, then, you know, it's no surprise that, like, that's the way this psalm ends up getting used, you know, mm -hmm. um, in in worship contexts, you know, in in liturgies. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, um, it's, it's, this is what this is. I mean, this is what God's people have used for years and years, right? I mean, like, like, um, you know, before Christ even came, this is what God's people were using to form their prayers and their response together. Um, this is where it's, this is where it's all moving towards. And this is uh, thanks and celebration because of the grace and forgiveness we received. And also, I mean, I think it's kind of like um, because of this like worship form that you do week in and week out. The other way around is actually. You have to have that joy and that that gladness in order to to have the confidence that would bother confessing your sins, right? Uh, unless unless you have that that kind of hope um, that that we that we see and we cling to in that worship celebration, unless you have that hope, unless Jesus is inspiring uh, is, is inspiring you to joy, you're never going to open your mouth. You're never going to. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not going to have a, anything to be joyful about, to shout for joy, you're not going to open your mouth to confess sin. Certainly not. So it all, it all fits together like that. Um, so yeah, thanks. I mean, I think that's really good to think about that in terms of worship. The last thing I want to consider today, though, is how, how can we read this Christologically? How can we read this in terms of Christ? Because I, I feel like all these Psalms, what's amazing about them is they, they fit into the life of Christ so well so how do you how do you see that there um like this that this is a this is actually something that christ our lord even like we see him clearly in this song well i mean ultimately jesus is the reason why we have um our sins forgiven right it, it's described as in first john that he's the propitiation of our sins it, that's an mm -hmm. important word, really, because it's because it, it's not like he just, I, you know, I just feel like forgiving you, so I will. You know, that's not what that that's not what that word suggests. It it suggests that Jesus took the punishment. You know that there yeah. was a punishment, and Jesus took it, and he paid the entire price so that I can have this forgiveness. And so, so it's a focus. It, it does direct our eyes at Jesus in this psalm because it's like, well, how are our sins forgiven? And, and the answer right. is, is Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, and and it's and you're right to be pointing us there, right? Because I, I mean, when I see like verse three, like when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I mean, you have the description in the Gospels that our Lord was silent. He went before the high priest. He goes before Pilate, and he and he hardly opens his mouth. You know, he is like bottling it all up. But here's, I mean, this is the amazing thing, seeing it like in Christ here. 
it, it's, you know, we, we're silent because we're, we're prideful. We have deceit, right? Because we don't have the truth in us. And that's why we're not going to go ahead and confess. Jesus, it's just the opposite. He is the truth. He is the truth. And it's because he is the truth that he's actually silent for us. He bottles up not his own sin. He bottles up our sins, right? And he's not going to open his mouth because he's actually going to secure that payment, right? Um, and then when when do you get the, the opening of his mouth? When does he really actually start to speak um, just clearly and openly, um, you know, with, with the joy that's there. It's after the resurrection, right? And it's, um, you know, there's that, that line in Luke that he appears to the disciples and he opens their minds, right? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, right? So, I mean, there, there it is, right? He's silent leading up to the cross. And then after the empty tomb, now he opens his mouth and he thanks God, and there's this praise and this joy that the disciples share in. So, it's um, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see it that way too. Well, everybody, thanks for reading the Psalm together with us today, uh, Chris. Really appreciate having you on the show. I look forward to having you on again. Thanks for reading this with us together today. Thank you very much, AJ. All right, everybody, we looked at Psalm 32. We're going to keep looking at these psalms every so often because they really just are a great thing to look at and make sure that we keep our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the strong word of God. We thank the Office of National Mission, our producers, and also our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Until next time, everybody, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.